Well, it's good to see all of you. I hope you had a good weekend and uh, enjoyed some time with friends and family and get a little bit of rest, although some of you are working probably too. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, we started off the year by trying to talk about some significant things that God's going to be doing in the life of our church in, in the months ahead. And I thought Carl did an excellent job of coming up here and not just talking about the uh, you know, eventual change in his role, but also sharing his heart heart to follow the Lord and his love for you. And sometimes for you, you get to see people up here on the platform and you know them as the platform person and you only know them in terms of what you see up here. Uh, for me, I get to spend time with Carl through the week and I can honestly tell you that his heart is to follow the Lord and to obey him out of love for the Lord and for you, the people. I know that's true of our elders as well. They honestly want to do what God wants to have happen for, for us as a church family. And they're asking, listening, and trying to lead the best they can out of that. So I really appreciate working with guys like Carl and our other elders and leaders and pastors in this church because I know that they're trying to lead out of love for the Lord and, and for you. Well, as we start off today, um, next week we're going to be starting in the book of Ephesians. Carl's going to be starting that. I'm going to spend some time in that. Looking forward to that. Today I want to follow up a little bit more on Carl's message from last week, uh, not just to give you more announcements, but to spend a little time, first of all, looking back at some other things that we can celebrate from the past year as evidence of God being at work, then to look forward a little bit and give you some things to be praying about because we want to ask God to do things through us out of his power, not our own strength. And then we'll spend a little bit of time in the Word in John 15 uh, to talk about something that I think is foundational to be able to uh, serve the Lord well in the um, coming months. So we're going to start uh, simply by, uh, by doing this, and that's to uh, look backward a little bit. We've got some slides up here we're going to roll, and I'm not going to talk about all of these slides. But you are aware, if you've been involved or around here, of uh, the many different good ministries that have been happening here and the way people are serving in practical ways, anything from helping people move to missionaries serving out in the field, training up national leaders, sharing the gospel, helping churches get established, to uh, people that are praying for others in our community and our church. Uh, we helped put all these gospel tracts together for evangelists in Nigeria. Uh, we have different services going on. The Hispanic Fellowship just finished their service earlier. Uh, we have the Jesus Table, which has been going a year and serving probably 80 to 90 people at a time right now. Food pantries serving hundreds of people. I mean, there's a lot, there are lots and lots of stories that we could talk about, of things that we've been able to share together as a church family and then ways that you have been involved here or out in, in the community. So I hope that you're encouraged as you think about, uh, think back on the last year. Sometimes when we look forward, we can only see the hard things coming. We need to stop and look back to say, you know, God has been at work He's always been at work. He's going to keep being at work here in and among us. Well, with all the stories that I, I, I could share, I want to just focus on one this morning. I, I shared a couple others last hour, and we went really late. So I'm just going to do one this morning. And so I want to invite uh, Terry and Catherine Barlow to come on up. Uh, they, Many of you know them. They've been involved at Cedar Mill for, for a long time. And they got to experience God at work in their life in the last year in ways that they hadn't really anticipated or planned. So let's go ahead and welcome them this morning. I'm going to grab this here.
that one switch there. Good. We're all hooked up. So. Is, is Andy Sin here? He's right back in there. He's he's straight back there. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Well, as you think back in your last year and some of the things that God has done, some of those things are things that you planned on, that you prayed about and you anticipated. Uh, especially the holidays, maybe you had plans with family and friends, things that you were going to look forward to and appreciate. And, um, and things went according to plan for the most part. You know, you did the same things each year. You pulled the Christmas lights out and half of them, the strings didn't work, you know, so you threw them away and went back to Fred Meyer or whatever. Things went according to plan. But for... Terry and Catherine, their Christmas, their holidays were a little bit different than they had planned. So I want to start by just asking um, Terry and Catherine to talk a little bit about the holidays for you from kind of Thanksgiving on. Uh, Well, ours actually started about two weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, It kind of came on suddenly. Um, I was having trouble breathing. And I couldn't sleep laying down because I felt like I was suffocating, so they would, I had to sleep sitting up. And I called my doctor, and they ran a bunch of tests on me, and they found out that I had fluid in my lungs, and then they wanted to find out if there was anything wrong with my heart because that was kind of a symptom of something going wrong with your heart. So they had me run some tests or go through some tests for that, and they found out that I had congestive heart failure um, that... You know, even three weeks before, I had been exercising, doing stuff, climbing stairs, and no problem. So I came on real suddenly. And to make that part kind of short, they ended up um, getting rid of the fluid. I was in the hospital for about a week, and they gave me this external defibrillator vest to wear 24-7. Uh, they said the only time I could take it off was when I was taking a shower. And so I... Uh, I had that on as kind of a safeguard in case something, uh, my heart started, you know, Andy give you the technical term for it in case my heart started to go out of whack again. But, um, and then Thanksgiving, uh, I wasn't feeling good at dinner. And so, and that evening I got really sick and I didn't want to keep Catherine up. So I decided to go downstairs and sleep on the couch in our living room. And uh, I'm going to let Catherine pick this part up. All right. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, Terry, just a minute. <coughs> Terry was, um, he and I both have been having a little bit of trouble sleeping, and so he, he went downstairs so that I could sleep, and I um, actually took a sleeping pill and put some earplugs in and went back to sleep for round two. And I probably wouldn't have heard anything, but um, around 3.30, the vest that he was wearing, it, it had a function of not only being an alarm if the heart rhythm was too fast or just, uh, in this case, that's not what it was. But anyway, so it started giving off a tone and an alarm and actually speaking. It was kind of a smart device. And our son, who's 18, just happened to be uh, awake in his room, apparently playing video games, and um, <laughs> which is usually discouraged, as you might think. Um, but anyway, he heard the vest going off, and 
who went downstairs to see what was the matter and found Terry kind of sitting up against the arm of the couch and he was um, kind of a yellowish color and breathing but his eyes were kind of rolled partly back up into his head and he wasn't responding to Drew shaking him and trying to trying to get him to respond so um, Drew came upstairs and woke me up and my sister up who happened to be there at our house for Thanksgiving and she stayed overnight and uh, brought us downstairs and called 911 once I saw what condition Terry was in and they um, of course came um, and when they came they couldn't even get a pulse they he he was by that time responding he sat up was kind of slumped over and was responding to their what he called shouting later um, he would answer yes or no and um, anyway they really didn't know what to do for him at that point so they rushed him to the hospital and you know we all went and they were trying to get his heart to um, to beat again and really not having much success at all with that so the cardiologist came in after we had gone back into this waiting room and he he asked me how old the kids were and told him they're 18 and 20 and he said well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell them the whole story too and he said your husband is dying and his organs are shutting down because his heart's not working at all and um, he said, we've got to do something drastic. If we don't, uh, he, he will not make it. And if we do, then he's got about a 50% chance of surviving. So um, at that point, they, they took Terry and they put him on a machine. It's called an ECMO. And it, it basically did uh, the work for him. It took his blood out and it oxygenated it and put his blood back in. And he was on a ventilator. And, um, you know, they said they could do that for a couple of days. And, again, Andy Andy can share a little bit. But, um, you know, obviously a very, very drastic thing. And, and from there, we kind of started the waiting process to see if his heart being at rest from the normal work would be able to start working again. And, you know, at that point, we spent a lot of hours at the hospital over the next couple of days. And... Um, I have to say from the moment I called Andy, because Terry and Andy are friends, and Terry will go into that a bit, um, from the moment I called him and he let people at the church know uh, he was there and people from our community group were there. Some of them, uh, one guy in particular, was there every single day. And, you know, people just bringing things to us and sitting with us and taking care of us and praying for us. So... Anyway, so you went from the Thanksgiving to that in that slide there, and <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let Andy talk about the picture up there. But um, what I wanted to say is, Catherine mentioned, you know, Andy being a friend of mine. For those of you that don't know Dr. Sen, he is a cardiac surgeon. Okay, I want to make sure that's the right term. Um, I'm a urologist. No. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, you know, it's in there somewhere, I suppose. Uh, so, and, and 
you know, this kind of, well, I'll talk about it in greater detail, but, you know, there, there was a, a special importance in, in that relationship that God created. And I'm going to let Andy kind of talk about, because he was there the three days that they put me in this induced coma and, and kind of let him explain, you know, what was going on from that standpoint and what kind of condition I was in. Maybe if you do that, what we could do is talk about not just uh, what was happening, but how God was at work in this oh, to his whole, whole process. Because, you know, all this stuff is happening, but what's God doing at, at work, work in all this? Yeah, go ahead, Catherine. I guess in the first service, without any prep and just reading Terry's notes, I did better. Anyway, um, in looking back kind of on all of that and obviously had a lot of time to think about what had happened, the things that appeared really miraculous to me that that evening and during that whole time is um, the fact that our son was awake. You know, that doesn't happen every night. And, you know, it definitely made a difference because Terry probably would have not made it had someone not come and helped him. And um, And our son is a very hard sleeper. And, you know, the fact that my sister was there was a huge blessing that, um, you know, she was there to help. She was very calm. I was not so much. And she, you know, had some EMT experience and just, you know, really, really helped me during that whole time and, and the weeks following. And then, you know, even Terry, when he woke up from the coma, he said, um, well, the best shocked me. And I said, okay, um, and did a little checking around because I hadn't seen any signs that the vest had gone off. And uh, and he, you know, definitely thought it had. So my, you know, only real way of explaining what happened from Terry being completely unresponsive to sitting up is somehow God gave his heart what he mm-hmm. needed. God shocked him. Mm-hmm. And... Um, allowed him to at least respond and, and uh, get the treatment that he needed. So, you know, those are just some of the things. And, you know, just obviously miraculous to see everyone come around us. And uh, Keith Ebley told us about being in Chicago or Ohio or someplace when he heard, and obviously too far away to do anything physically for Terry, but he started praying and, you know, prayed over not just the heart. He prayed over every organ and went through and prayed until he said it, it was lit up. And, you know, just miraculous things like that where God was listening to prayers and he was answering and he was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Andy, I don't know if you want to add something from your perspective too, just how you... What you, your, what you saw, how God was working through that whole situation. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily get so much into the medical aspect of things, but uh, um, I think that, you know, Tara and I have talked about this, about just how it was just really great to see community in action. I mean, Tara and I, you know, we've, gone to, we've both gone to church, parallel tracks at the church, but really just a few years ago, God put us in a small group together. And, uh, and how God was actually preparing Terry for this day, uh, where when Catherine calls me at, I don't know, four or five in the morning, there was no hesitation but to go in the hospital and to be with Catherine and the family and to be able to explain what was going on. And, uh, so it's just, you know, how God was working even years ago in, in making this all come together. 
just my expertise with this type of technology, which you see up here on the uh, on the uh, board. But uh, um, but basically, Terry was basically a dead man. Um, if uh, Drew had not found him, um, and if he had not made it to the hospital, if he had made it to the hospital maybe an hour later, half an hour later, he wouldn't be with us today. And uh, he was just that sick. I mean, there's life support, and then there's life support. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, uh, this is a machine that uh, replaces the heart and lung function, and it basically hooks up to an artery and a vein in his groin and is performing all those functions for him. And as a result of Terry just basically being dead on arrival, uh, they were able to resuscitate him. They, uh, this is the first time they had used this machine at St. Vincent's. The cardiologist uh, uh, that happened to be on call just happened to be the guy that was the expert in this. And so just God's planning in that is the first time that they had actually used this machine for this purpose. Um, and the doctor actually had to override um, a lot of protocol to make that happen. And so it was just, you know, I just happened to be on vacation over the Thanksgiving weekend. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been available uh, to Catherine and Terry. And I was just available for that critical moment of time for those next few days while he was sick. And so it was just, I think, just incredible to not only see that, but just to see the small group, the community group, uh, come around Terry and Catherine and the family, uh, Drew and Faith, just going through a very traumatic time. And, uh, and that's the importance of the small groups and the community groups and, mm-hmm. and having life together. And so I think that that's, uh, that's the incredible thing about this story yeah. in many ways. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, and um, Andy mentioned, you know, the community group that we belong to, we've been, we've been part of for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, when, for both hospital visits, um, you know, they came and supported not only me uh, coming to visit me, but you know what meant so much more to me was what they did for Catherine and the kids. Um, you know, bringing food, um, you know, praying. Uh, you know, one thing I didn't mention the first service, you know, I heard somebody mention to me when I was in there, and I was pretty out of it, obviously, for, for the first three, four days. And, you know, people, knowing that people were praying for me, from this church um, was huge. Um, you know, I just, it, it lifted me up so much to know that, that it wasn't just my family. It was people that we knew and we loved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the small group, they took on the responsibility of setting up, uh, you know, meals where they brought meals to Catherine and the kids when we were in, when I, they came to visit me in the hospital. But then even after we got back, we had meals coming every other night. Um, low sodium meals. <laughs> <clears throat> That's something I'm still getting used to. Um, but, you know, just the fact that they, and they just, they took that upon themselves. Um, you know, there's one, one of our leaders, I mean, she is just an organizer. Uh, and she just took a hold of that. She said, okay, here's what we need to do as a group. And she just set it up. It, it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. So, well, Andy, maybe Andy's one of our elders, too. So, Andy, maybe if you could go ahead and pray for them as we um, move forward. And uh, I know that your life's changed not only from this experience, but you're also having to make adjustments for the, the future yeah, as well. Yeah. The biggest thing for me right now is just understanding what... God's plan is for me and for us. Um, obviously, 
He wants me here for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to continue praying for us, pray for that, that I'll know know what that is. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Terry and Catherine. I know that it was a big deal for them to get up here on this podium, especially for Catherine. And and, uh, what compelled them to do it, though, was just... um, seeing church and Christian life in action. Uh, Father, we know that this journey is far from over for Terry. Um, His heart is still weak, and uh, we pray that you would heal it, um, but there is a possibility that he may need to go on a heart transplant list. And uh, uh, Father, I just pray that you would just continue to guide and direct him down this journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Father, I just pray that uh, Terry and his family would just... uh, take this new lease on life and with just fresh perspective, fresh goals, fresh direction. Uh, Father, help them to be ministered to and to minister. And we thank you for our church and for the people that uh, have pitched in and contributed in the Barlow's lives. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good. Thank you. Can I say one more quick thing? Um, I just wanted to say, you know, us wanting to get up here, I'd actually talked to Dan about this this last week and, you know, wanting to get up in front of the body and talk about this because I always found it extremely encouraging to hear other people's stories and how God was working in their lives. And that's why I wanted to be up here to share it with you guys because, um, you know, a lot of times God's working and we don't know it. I mean, he was working in my life five, six, seven years ago preparing for this. Well, thank you guys for coming and cheering. Well, we've spent a lot of time uh, talking in the last couple years about the kind of church we want to be. And even in the back of your bulletin, there's a mission statement there. It says that we feel called to be a people that have been sent into this world for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that's our purpose. And how's that to unfold? It's by proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also doing that as a community, in community, as a community of faith, love, and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we spent a lot of time talking about being community and then the kind of avenue for that being community groups. And I think you heard a little bit of some of the power of that how God tends to work through other people in his family to care and express his love and support and also to challenge and grow. I want to invite uh, Matt Bowen, one of our pastors, to come on up and talk a little bit about... Um, I think Matt is here. Maybe I will be Matt for a minute. <laughs> anyway, Matt's helping lead up our community groups. Uh, we have all kinds of community groups here, and we've, you've been talking about that. Some are focused on coming around... Uh, here he comes. Uh, some are talking about... Come on up, Matt. <laughs> some are ta- we're, uh, focused on uh, sharing jazz as an interest, but they're about more than the music. They're about uh, a, a community that's trying to pursue and follow God. Um, others are about running. Others are about any kind of thing. So Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about the groups here at Cedar Mill and yeah, what we're trying to do My there. My apologies. I- did the adult ministries team already come up? No, I'm just doing everything in a different order okay. today. Just because I don't want to get you know, people too comfortable. It's different all the time, just to throw me off. Yeah. Um, all right, so we have uh, 
We, our definition of a community group is really a group of people that are committed. So there's a, there's a sense of I'm in this together with you to, to growing together, belonging together, and serving <clears throat> together. So there's three directions we ask people to be committed to. Simple ways to move forward toward relationship with God, growing together, relationship with each other. We want a context to belong as well as um, we believe life is meant to be given away, servant character. Um, want to see people come to know Jesus in community. We, you know, one of these axioms about community and the gospel is that the, the best translator of the gospel is the community that believes it and lives it out. And so this really comes out of Paul's heart in 2 Corinthians 5.1 that um, God has made us his ambassadors, that he's making his appeal through us. And that's, that's not just meant as a a collection of individuals making an appeal for the gospel, but it's about the relationships that resemble God's own heart. And so we, community groups really, like, very simply are about sharing God's heart together. And so this could look a lot of different ways with lots of different expressions, but again, a commitment to real three core directions. Um, one of the ways you could pray this year for community groups, and we'll talk more about this as we... Um, do these these prayer gatherings in the months ahead uh, is that you you could really pray for for new groups like I, we I think we need like ten new groups at mm-hmm. least uh, this year and so that's like ten to twenty leaders and uh, as you look around the room like those numbers start adding up really quick right so look around like can you see ten to twenty people you say like I want to go show up in that person's house and like belong with them. Mm-hmm. This is what we want to see God raise up, um, another ten groups or so, this, just this year. And really, we feel that these are called to multiply out. But um, So pray for that. Pray also for, um, for uh, our coaches. Like, we're pairing every single group leader up with a coach because we, we don't want to just say, like, hey, go lead a group. Good luck. We'll see you in a year. Um, we, we have, we're building kind of an infrastructure to care for group leaders as well, and coaching is a big part of that. And so what we're asking for is experienced group leaders who will say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help people take developmental next steps with their group in the areas of faith, love, and hope, growing together, belonging together, and serving together. And, and then lastly, just that, that this would be a church where everybody can stick and belong. And this, we believe, will happen through community groups. And when you, when you belong, you feel empowered then to grow, as well as to, to partner with God in his mission and, mm-hmm. and join him in his redemptive work in the world through sharing the gospel with neighbors, through serving, through all kinds of uh, ways of reflecting his love. So there you go, Dan. Good. Thanks. So if people want to pursue that, they head out this door and... Yeah, um, meet up with me uh, around the corner there, and we'll get you a list of available groups. You can take a look and say, this interests me, and uh, get a hold of the group leader via email or phone call, and they'll follow up with you right away. Got it, group leaders? We'll follow up with them right away. So, (laughs) Good. Thanks, Matt. Good. Well, our hope, again, is that everyone could experience God working in their life like the Barlow family has. Not to go through the pain and suffering. That's not our wish for anyone. But to experience God's love and care in their lives directly, but also through the lives of other people. That you're able to belong and be in community, have friendships and relationships where you can go through the good times and the hard times together, serve together, and also grow uh, together. So this year, we hope that you're, each person here, each one of you, is able to connect to a group like that. Well, there's a, 
insert in your bulletin. Go ahead and pull that out. And then the one side is the complete context and message that I'm going to give you this morning. It's just summarized at the top. There, you got it if you read the top. But flip it over on the back side are some other things that we're looking forward to in the coming year. And I don't have time to go over all of those. Uh, one of the big things we're looking forward to is, again, helping people connect in community groups. But the other thing, a big part, is uh, really continuing to develop leadership in our church. And so I give this list to you not to explain everything on there, but to start to pray for the coming year. One of the things, areas you could be praying for are leaders um, in this Search for a lead pastor. You need to be praying for our elders. Not that they just come up with any person or any plan or any strategy, but they know the mind of Christ and are able to act with wisdom and discernment. So you need to be praying for uh, those elders as they pursue that. You know, they, they need God to be leading them and speaking to them. Uh, we're also putting together uh, another leadership team called an adult uh, steering team to help us with uh, coming alongside with some ministries that augment what's happening in community groups. And that could be related to anything from evangelism to working with uh, marriages and, and families. But not to put a bunch of programs or events together, but come alongside and finding ways to minister to people uh, that are already in groups. So I want to invite Ron Carlson to come on up. He's going to introduce our new adult ministries team. And uh, we're going to pray for them. So we want you to meet them. Uh, they're just starting to meet and, and plan ahead. So Ron, thank you for... Introducing them. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, come on up, team. Here they come. Uh, two of them couldn't make it this morning, so I'll introduce them first since they're not here. Bob and Jolene Buckendorf, you probably, a lot of you know them. We're very pleased to have them on the team. And then coming up is the rest of the team that we have, and I think you can agree with me that we've got a fine group assembled here. They're nice looking, too, aren't they? Um, so, uh, so let's start off to the left here. Mike and Meg Smith, who've been involved in leadership here for quite some time, and Chandra Galloway, who's also heading up the women's ministry here, helping us with that now as well. April Schaefer and Todd Schaefer, and then Ellen Ebley and Keith Ebley. So, uh, the, you know, I have a real uh, benefit of getting to work with these people, and that benefit is I like them. So it's uh, really a nice benefit as well. But the nice, another nice thing is these people are people who really have a heart for God and really have a heart for reaching out and wanting to help uh, all of you in, in what you're doing. So we're going to be involved in, in a lot of leadership support. And, and one of the verses that really struck all of us was when uh, Peter was with Jesus and Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he repeated it over and over. Mm. And, and we feel like we want to try and help feed the sheep here, but we also want to lead the sheep here. So that's, that's what we want to do. That's our calling, we feel, from, from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and these aren't just a bunch of yes people. Uh, these are people who will, will uh, not just agree with everything I say, which I think is wonderful. And it's probably best for all of you, too. So, um, so we, we've met a couple of times together, and, and we're really pushing into where we feel the Lord wants to support you in your ministries, and also just as a group, as a unit. How can we move forward for the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom of God together? So that's, that's what our calling is, we feel, right now. And uh, we just really ask for your prayers and support. Mm-hmm. And let me just pray for him right now, Dan. Would that be good? Heavenly Father, uh, we know that you are the designer of community. In fact, as we look into your word, in the beginning, God, right there, that word is plural. Lord, you have always been involved in building teams. You built a great team around yourself, the disciples. And uh, I just want to thank you for this team you've assembled here this morning. 
I pray that you would bless each one of these people here. And as we move forward, Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to feed your sheep. And, and Father, as, as this community uh, gathers together to uh, go forward in the future, we want to be on that journey of, of leading our people into where you want us to go. What's the land you're calling us to? What's the higher ground you want, just want us to reach out for? Let us not be satisfied with where we're at and just being comfortable in the low ground. We want to reach for that high ground that, that you called Caleb to. Help us to be those kind of people. Protect us, guide us, direct us, and we look forward to what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good. Thank you, guys. Well, again, in that list, there's, there are a lot of different other things we could take some time to talk about. Let me just pull out a couple other quick things, and then we'll, we'll jump into to John. Uh, something else you could be praying about, you know, we're also searching for a new pastor to lead the Hispanic Fellowship. Uh, we're not looking for someone just to care for that group, but if many of you know that Washington County is already about 17% Hispanic or Latino. If we think about... Uh, caring for and shepherding people in our community, that is a huge opportunity to reach out and help enfold people, uh, to share the gospel and help them become uh, part of God's family. So we're looking at, for someone to help shepherd the group here, but also to network with others, other churches and uh, Hispanic pastors in our area to reach our community in that way. So you could be praying for that, that search as well. Uh, some other quick things together. Uh, we're going to start the book of Ephesians next Sunday, Carl's going to be starting that. I feel like this is just the right book for us at this time. First part of the book spends a lot of time talking about what Christ has done for us, how he's chosen us, uh, what he wants for us, and the second part talks about how to live that out or live in light of that. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So I know I've started reading through the book of Ephesians. I'm already enjoying it. So I hope you're able to be back for each Sunday as we start through the, the book of Ephesians. We're all going to, also going to take some more time to be praying together this next year as, as a group. Many of you already pray. You pray in your groups. But we're going to gather just like this Monday night uh, at 7 o'clock tomorrow to pray and to worship. Uh, we don't have to pray just by talking, but you can pray through, through singing and other kind of, kinds of worship as well. We're going to start uh, tomorrow night, and then we hope to do that 10 times over the coming year. Uh, one of those will be in March, first and second. That's going to be all night um, prayer night for the women. And guys are going to have to support that as well. Come alongside to help take care of kids and things like that so their wives can come. But that will be March 1st and 2nd. Wendy Palau and uh, Shandra Galloway are going to help lead that. So look forward to that. Sometime we're going to be praying all together. Uh, let's see, anything else I could really talk to you about here? Um, well, we'll talk tomorrow, tomorrow night a little bit about some of these things. But we are looking forward to the future, so that's whether doing some things together in community groups, reaching inward or reaching out into our community. Uh, we are, are looking forward to, to this next year. Well, that said, uh, I could sit up here and talk to you about all sorts of things we could do and come up with all sorts of ideas. I love ideas. I like planning and organizing and thinking about what could, could happen. And I know a lot of you are that way, too. You could come up with a huge list of things that we could do as a church or that all the pastors should do at the church. Maybe that's more what you'd rather do. Just tell us what to do. Uh, but there's plenty of, there are plenty of things that we could do that we could come up with in our own strength. But that's really not what we're called to be about. Now, as the body of Christ, we're not the head. Jesus is the head, and so we want to know what his thinking is and what his mind is for the coming years. And one of the things that's going to carry us through the next year as we receive some of these things from God 
is found in John 15. So I want you to go ahead and take your Bible out, and we're going to look at John 15, starting right there at verse 1. And we're going to take uh, you know, some of our final minutes just to walk through this chapter together. So John 15, starting right in, in verse 1. Now, as you get ready to read that, um, let me tell you a little bit about my, my main point. And I think it's the main point of this passage. So if I lose you along the way, here it is. It's just right at the top of that note sheet, too. That's the fact that we are loved. And there's an incredible need that each of us have to know that in our head and in our heart, that we are loved by Christ. That's the piece that's going to enable us to, in turn, love each other and love people in this world and in the community. This is going to be the thing that drives us, that sustains us, enables us, and empowers us. Coming back, even when things are tough, to say, you know, I can live this out because I am loved. I'm going to live it out because I am loved. So there could be a lot of different things we could talk about, plans, strategies, so forth this morning. But I want to start off with this one passage here in John 15. So let's go ahead and read together through that. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So when Jesus is telling the disciples this, it's right toward the end of his time on earth with them, before his betrayal, before the crucifixion. He's wrapping up, if you go back to the chapter before, he says, I don't have very much time left with you guys, but I need to remind you of a few things. So he's summarizing the bulk of his teaching and his time with them, with these chapters here in John. So he says, there's one point I really want you to get, and this is it. So he starts off by trying to explain it using the story of a garden. How many of you have gardens? Some of you. Some of you love gardening, and some of you hate gardening. You hate anything to do with yard work. You, You just hate green things. You don't have plants in your house, anything like that, unless it's mold because you don't clean your bathrooms. So... Starts off with the gardening thing. Well, I have a garden, so we'll go ahead and show some pictures here of, of my garden. 
Um, so that's the gardener, me, I'm the gardener, right? And behind me, yeah, is the garden. And in that garden, it's not, it's not a beautiful garden like Aletha Singles. She has beautiful flowers, plants, she cares for it. It's fantastic. It's just a plain garden. And it's not a big, impressive garden like Roy Reichen. He's got these wheat fields and clover fields that are spectacular when the clover's in bloom. You know, it's not spectacular like that. It's just my little plot in the back right there. So if you go to the next slide, we have all sorts of things in there alike. We have blueberry bushes, and when they're putting out blueberries, it's fantastic. I love blueberries. We have an apple tree. We have a cherry tree behind that. Herbs, use those for cooking. And we put whatever else we want in there, you know, whether it's flowers or beans or broccoli or whatever else like that. Uh, I even have a grapevine in there. And then finally, the biggest, most central thing is my never-ending compost pile, which is almost as big as the whole garden because I don't take care of it and turn it. So it's just growing and growing. And uh, then in the background, you can see that fence there. There are things growing over the top of that that I don't like and that aren't supposed to be in my garden. And that's from my neighbor's yard. They're good neighbors, but there are things that just keep growing over into my garden that shouldn't be there. So that's our garden in a nutshell. So when Jesus talks in here about this garden, I can relate to it a little bit from my garden. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he knew they could relate to maybe not a garden like that, but to a vineyard, something they had seen and experienced and that kind of helped explain what life was was about. If we look at this passage, there are really three main characters in here, or three parts or roles. And the first is, in verses 1 through 3, the gardener himself. And in this God, or the Father, is the gardener. Just like me, he owns the garden, he plans the garden, he puts in the garden what he wants. It's for his purposes, and it's under his care that good things happen in the garden. That's true of life. Life is like this garden, with the Father as the gardener. Now there's also the vine in there, right? If you jump down, starting in verse 1, but then also look farther down in verses 4 through 8, there's a vine, Jesus is the vine. He's in there and it says he's not just any old vine. He's not like the vines coming over my neighbor's yard. He's the true vine. He's supposed to be in there. He's the source of life where good things come from. It's out of the vine that the fruit comes that the father or the gardener wants to come in that garden. Then finally, in the last part, uh, there's verse 5. We see that we are the branches and our role is to bear fruit. It's not the gardener's role, and it's not the vine or Jesus' role. That's our role, is to bear fruit. So if you look at this uh, grapevine in our yard, you see the big, thick, black thing at the bottom? That's the grapevine. And then the gangly things growing out all over the place, like spider webs, uh, those are the branches. And when you grow a vine, a grapevine, the fruit doesn't form on the vine. It forms on the branches. In fact, um, And the other thing different between the branches and the vine here is if you cut off the branches, new ones grow back. In fact, you need to cut off most of those branches each year. But if you cut the vine off or dig the vine out, the whole thing's done. It's dead. So there's a big difference between the vine and the branches and their role in the garden. So three, the gardener, the vine, the branches, all working together toward one end for what the gardener wants to accomplish in there. It says he wants fruit to be in the garden, but what kind of fruit is there? You know, when I put something in my garden, like squash, I expect squash to grow up from those seeds. 
I put in carrots, I expect carrots. Or beans, I expect beans. And when I put them in the garden, I plant them and then I wait. And usually what comes up is nothing because the slugs have eaten them all off and instead I just have weeds. They're like that. So that's my, my garden. But this garden is different because God makes it, makes it work. And what's the fruit that he's after? It's not really grapes. That's just the illustration. If you go to the end of 15, what is it that he says in verse 16? It says that, you know, I've chosen you to bear fruit that is going to last. And then in verse 17, he gives, you know, this is my command. Love each other. Or love one another. The fruit that God's after in his garden is love. Love for one another. Okay? It's not all these programs, all these plans, not events. It's not building. The fruit that God wants in his garden is love for one another. That's the kind of fruit that's going to last. Think about even going through 1 Corinthians. It talks about all these things. We can be doing all this stuff, but in the end, if it's not all colored and motivated and shaped by love, it's not worth anything. And if you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, it said after all these things are gone, three things remain. Remember faith, love, and hope, but the greatest of these is love. So this is a garden, if you want to call it a love garden. Let's not call it that. That sounds really dumb. It's a garden meant to produce fruit that's going to last, and that's love for one another. So that's what he's after. That's the purpose of the Father, the gardener, the vine, Jesus, and us, the branches. What happens from verse 1 through 15 then, the first 15 verses, Jesus summarizes how that fruit is going to get there on the branch or how it's going to be produced. No, it doesn't just happen. And he really says it's going to happen in two ways, by pruning and abiding. Those two things, pruning and abiding. Well, what's the pruning about? In verse 2 he says, you know, you're, you're already clean. You've already been pruned by the words that I've spoken to you. Pruning is really about the word, hearing the word and having it be involved in our lives. And then the abiding has, has to do with being connected to Jesus in some way. Now, if you go to the, the grapevine again, now each year you've got to do some pruning. And again, you cut off the branches. You cut most of them back pretty far. In fact, if you go to this next slide, you can see all those gangly things. There's a big, long stretch of thing there that looks like it should be important. But you're cutting most of the plant away. And if you don't do that, it's not going to be very fruitful the next year. It might put out a little fruit, but it's not going to be as productive as it could. So it's time in God's word that prunes off, that helps us to refocus, that helps us to, to center in on the things that re- God really wants us to pay attention to. Okay? Sometimes we talk about pruning as being circumstances and things like that in life, but no, it's really in this passage talking about time and the Word. That's why we can't emphasize enough the importance of us individually to spend time with God in the Word, listening. Look how Jesus pruned them here. He goes back and he says, look, there's some things I want to remind you about right here. Um, He jumps down. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he did that. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
And finally in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. There he's pruning them up again, just with his word right there. He's reminding them of one central point, that you are loved. I've loved you as the Father loved me. I've laid down my life for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you, and he did. I've been willing to call you friends, to share the things that are important to me that are on my mind. And I've chosen you to be part of what I'm doing in this world. I want you to know above all else how much I love you. That's the most important pruning that he's doing right there for us. And so we need to be continually coming back, spending time in his words so we can hear those same words from him, reminding us of who we are, what he's done for us, how much he loves us and is interested in us. That's going to enable us to go to the next part, which is abiding in him. So what's the abiding part about? The abiding part or remaining in, in some translations, he, he lays it right out there. We go back to those and he says what? He talks about obedience. And what are we supposed to obey? He says, my command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we remain in Christ and in his love by obeying him in loving one another. So we start with being pruned, focused on what's most important, loving one another, remembering that, that's what we're made to do. And then we start to do it. And as we do that, something happens. It's not about empty obedience. You know, God is at work in, in us as we are obeying him. As we're fruitful, as we're loving one another, we may start with this, okay, I, I get it that God loves me. But as we love one another and get to experience God working through us, something greater happens where we become even more convinced of God's love for us. As we obey, it provides evidence, first of all, that we're, we're getting, we're trying to live this out, the fact that we're loved and made to love other people. But then also we grow in confidence. God is using me. He's using me to love other people in practical ways. He loves me enough that he wants to use me. So the two go hand in hand. The pruning, spending time in God's word, and the remaining in, and that's largely through obedience, in loving others, loving one another. Now, sometimes it's difficult to, to get a handle on that because we start to believe these kind of goofy things about ourselves. We start thinking things like, um, you know, God doesn't love me because I'm lonely or I've been sick or someone's been taken out of my life. I'm out of work again. Uh, I'm in a loveless marriage. I'm not in a marriage. I don't have any friends. I don't know what my purpose is. I feel inadequate. You know, those kinds of things can drive us away and separate us from the vine because we stop believing that God loves us. Sometimes we can start to think in terms of this. Uh, God wouldn't love me. He wouldn't love me because I'm not worthy. You know, for some of you, you may have spent the whole part, most of your life with people telling you that you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be loved. Nobody would want to love you. For others, maybe it's the thinking that goes like this. God couldn't love me because of what I've done. I've done one too many bad things. Or I've done one thing so terrible, or so many little things. God could not possibly love me. 
But how do we get over that? That comes back to the pruning part. Spending time in God's word, he has to keep reminding us again and again, look, I do love you. I've laid down my life for you. I'm present with you. I want to use you. Sometimes we need the help of other people. That's why we need each other, too, to come by and encourage each other with that. No, the word does say this. It is true. And then we get to experience God's love through the love of other people. It gives us confidence. Know that God does love us. And that, in turn, enables us to become more fruitful in the end. So pruning and abiding. And then there's one last part. We need to stop with that. If you get to the very end of this chapter, and he says it earlier, he says that... Um, you know, if you remain in me, you can ask whatever you wish in, in Christ's name, and I will do it for you. Well, a person that's been pruned and a person that's remaining in Christ, what kind of thing are they going to ask? They're probably going to be asking, God, would you make me fruitful? Help me to love other people. You know, for me, I was sitting in the living room the other day at our house. So I like to get up early and have a little time to myself, get a cup of coffee and Christmas is the best time because you sit by the Christmas tree and I don't know, it just feels good. It's dark outside. It, I just enjoy that time with, with God. And I was sitting there thinking about this a little bit and the thought occurred to me, I thought, what if we got through the whole end of not just this year, but all of our time together in this church family? And when we were done, we would have accomplished all these things. People would know Cedar Mill is this kind of church that did all this kind of great, great stuff. But what if in the end... The one thing missing was we hadn't loved well or loved each other. Now I thought for my own family, what if I get to the end of one of these memorial services and it's me? And if, if my wife or my kids said he was just an okay dad or husband, but he didn't really love me, that would be the worst thing ever. Or what if a church, if we've done all those things, people come, they're really friendly, they have really good kids programs, they have great music, you know, they have a nice building, they do all this outreach, but they didn't love me, or I didn't really see them loving each other. I know we love each other. You, I've seen you love each other, so I'm not saying we don't. But if we get to the end of all these things that we want to do in this next year or the next 10 to 20 years, and we haven't loved each other, we've missed the whole point of the garden, and that's to love one another. And if we're really not loving, it, it tells me that we haven't missed the first point, and that's how much God loves us and how much he's done for us. It's out of love that he's given his life for us. That's what's going to color everything that we think and do together. So in the coming year, you may hear about all sorts of ministries and programs that we could do together. You will be coming up with ideas that you could do in your own group or we could do as a church, but that has to be underlying everything that we do as we go forward together. Well, in a minute, we're going to take communion together, and uh, that's a way that we get to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. In love, we get to drink in or receive his love, and out of that, hopefully his love will flow out to one another. But first, before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. You're a good gardener. You plan well. You care well. Uh, you're good. And Jesus, we thank you for being a good vine. You are the source of our life, all of our purpose and our meaning, our strength, the ability to change and become what you want and even to be fruitful. It comes from you. And we thank you for connecting us to you, your willingness to use us and all that you've done for us, even giving your very life, laying it down on the cross 
for us so that we could be forgiven and know you and be used by you. Lord, we thank you for your willingness to use us. And we do want to ask, just like you've said at the end of uh, these verses, I want to ask in your name, Lord, that this year would be a year of lots of fruit, that you would use us to be fruitful in loving people, the people that you've put in our lives closely and our neighbors, people at work, at school, and then even one another. I pray that you would use us to love each other deeply in the days ahead. So thank you again for what you've done for us. Thank you for being able to know you. Thank you for your willingness to change us and work in us. And we thank you even now for this time to be able to celebrate what you've done for us through communion. Amen.